Father, we just come to you this evening. We just thank you. We just praise you, Lord. We just thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Every little thing that happens in our life, we know your hand is there. The God of Israel who neither sleeps nor slumbers, but watches over his people, who watches over their going out and their coming in. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We are gathering here for this last time this month. You brought us through and you will take us through. We just thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Even tonight we are here and we commit ourselves into thy hands and we pray, speak to us, teach us, empower us, strengthen us, that we may walk in that teaching. For you said in your word that if we continue in your teaching, then we truly are your disciples. Teach us and help us to walk in that teaching, Lord. Thank you, Father. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wednesdays, of course, it's more of a teaching session. But remember, we received the word. Even in the house of God, just like in a classroom. Like a classroom. And each student receives the teaching according to their motivation. Okay. You all, many of you came from school today, but you didn't listen or receive in the same manner. Every student receives according to their motivation. Usually in a classroom, very, very few, as a teacher I know, are really focused and are running for that price. Very few. Some just want to pass. Some just want a job. Some just want a degree. But very few are in a classroom focused for the price. When it's come to the kingdom of God too, Christ has made it very clear in his word. Salvation is for everyone who believes, calls upon the name of Jesus, meets those parameters scripture talks. But the price is only for the overcomers. Remember that in mind. Today, you have not come here for salvation. The ones who come on Wednesday, always I believe are those who are saved. So keep that in mind. You, we all are in a race. When you are in a race, always run to win. Okay. We know from scripture the examples giving, given. Jacob had 12 sons. Only one entered the race. So to him a crown was promised. Therefore he suffered. But he kept his focus. Keep your focus. He kept his focus. In Psalm 105, we know these verses, but many have must have forgotten. We look back again. It talks about this man, the only son who was in the race. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, and the ruler of the people set him go free. He made him lord of his house and the ruler of all his possessions. So you will see 
The life of one person who entered into that race was focused about that price. His life was different from the others. His life was different from the others. Like God promised Joseph to everyone. Remember we know now we are very good theologians. Remember the first ten sons and the eleventh one. After the law comes grace. So we are all under grace. We are not under the law. For all who are under grace are also promised a crown like Joseph. But Romans 8.17 makes it very clear that if we are children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joined heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. Joseph was the only son who suffered because of entering into that race. He suffered. He stood till the end. Therefore, he receives a crown. In the same way, God also says that we may also be glorified together if we understand what the race is. So please know this. We know this. Keep knowing this. The devil will come at us. And the Lord will allow it also to see if we will take our eyes off the price. Okay. Different ways in trials, in temptations, the devil will come. And the Lord will allow to see if we are focused or not. In the kingdom of God, once you have entered, the target or the price is not an object. It's not even a position. It's not even a crown. It's more than that. It is a person. It is a person. Apostle Paul will put it this way. In Philippians 3.8 he will say, Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He says, I have gone through incredible suffering of almost everything that the world counts important. And count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. The price is Christ. The price is Christ. In the kingdom of God, the price is a person. The writer of Hebrews will put it this way. I'm just giving you the preamble, the beginning, and then we'll get into today's uh, core text. The writer of Hebrews will put it this way in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Lay, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a race set before us. And there is a price for those who finish the race. And he says, be focused. Don't lose focus. Looking unto Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. To <coughs> Everyone, this promise and challenge is made. Even to the most compromised Christian who is in the kingdom or the church, the promise is made. In Revelation 3.21, the most compromised, blinded believer also scripture says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to him, grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. The promise is to everybody in the kingdom. Everybody, even to the most compromised, blinded, lukewarm Christian too, God promises that if you repent and change, you too can partake in this race and overcome. The key statement here is of course to those who 
overcome. Those who overcome as I overcame. That's the key statement for those who overcome. It's not participating in the race. It's winning in the race. Okay? So let's learn from that great runner or apostle, Paul. And today's core text is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, today this is the core text. He says, I'm running a race. I'm running for the price. If you look at how he begins, remember this is not for everyone. This is not for people in the world. This is for the brethren. Those who belong to the family of Christ. This is for those who are in the body of Christ who are part of the family of God. Brethren, he says. He's giving his own example. We learn from this, I want to use the sports term, from this great spiritual athlete whose record alone is given after Jesus Christ in the new covenant. Whose record alone is given in scripture concerning the conclusion of the race. Only two people's record is given in the entire New Testament of those who finished the race. Okay, only two people. One is Jesus. We know he finished and the Father raised him up to the highest place and seated him on the right hand side. Other than the only person's record of having finishing or finished the race is Paul. Nobody else's record is given. In 2 Timothy, he will say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I finished the race. Okay, only two people. I have kept the faith. Therefore, he says, there is laid for me the crown of righteousness. He didn't say, I have participated in the race. He says, I have finished. Therefore, his assurance of his crown. Okay, are you getting the picture? Only two people. So we learn from Jesus. We learn from this athlete. So let's get back to the core text for tonight. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 3. Okay, To win the race, to be declared a winner at the end, there are certain essentials or fundamental rules to everyone who participates. Okay, everyone. There are fundamental rules. So he's talking about somewhere in his journey in Philippians and talking about the end in Timothy and his teaching here. And certain fundamental, we have looked at other portions like we have looked from Timothy, we have looked from Hebrews. Today we are looking from this portion. Some of those mindsets or fundamentals we need to know because you are not here on a Wednesday night to learn about salvation. You are here on a Wednesday night how to run your race. There are certain fundamentals over here. I do not count myself to have apprehended. Okay. One of the things every believer who is serious about his race, his walk with God needs to be very clear is do not get complacent. Do not ever think you have arrived. I do not count myself to have apprehended. Don't be complacent. In this, 
Doesn't matter how much knowledge we have, it's just like a drop in the bucket. Doesn't matter how much experience we have, it is still nothing compared to what lies ahead. So he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended. It is not over with God until God says it is over. Remember the lessons we have learned from the other stalwarts of the Old Testament, which Noah, Abraham, Isaac, David. Old Testament patterns. The only real symbol of finishing victoriously in the Old Testament, actually, is Enoch. And the reason is, he kept walking with God without ceasing. So two things are mentioned about him in Genesis 5.24. Scripture says, you know, walked with God and he was not for God, took him. So it talks about a continuous process. He walked with God until God took him. That's what it means. He kept on walking with God until God took him. And then the corollary in Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He had this testimony that he pleased God. So you put these verses together. He walked with God and his walk pleased God. He finished well. He finished his race in the Old Covenant. So don't get complacent. Or ever think any one of us has arrived. Because there is so much more to travel. So much more to apprehend. To use the word Paul uses. Don't get distracted like David. Or tune off like Timothy. Paul has to write to Timothy. You're getting complacent. Fan back. Fan back Timothy. Guard against complacency. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep serving. This is a relationship with God. And scripture says in John 3 and verse 34, Our God gives spirit without measure. There is no end to it in this journey. Possibility with this journey. Okay. So the first thing from Philippians, what we look is, don't get complacent. Noah got complacent and his end became bad. Abraham got complacent. Isaac got complacent. You will see so many men in the word of God became complacent. They thought they had apprehended and it was over when it was not over. And don't get complacent. In this walk, in this race, it's much bigger than any one of us. Second one, if you go back, keep going back to that text, okay? Second one, we go back to Philippians. I do not count myself apprehended, but one thing I do. What is it? One thing I do. When he uses that term, remember, this calls for focus. One thing. We can do many things. That's what 21st century man is. The jack of all trades and master of none. Okay? But here this is one thing. It's not that you shouldn't do other things, but you need to be very clear about your focus. He says, one thing I do. It calls for focus. It calls for commitment. Okay? The problem is, so many Christians are like what you call uh, 
like the ecg machine emotional christians it's like a graph one day up in the mountain next day in the valley mountain valley mountain valley mountain because they have no focus the problem here is baby christians are real christians but they cannot inherit they don't get a crown they don't get a crown galatians is very clear about it scripture is very clear about it in galatians chapter 4 now i say the heir remember the other place romans 8:17 talked about the heir the heir as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave though his master of all though positionally he owns power authority crown inheritance yet he is given nothing he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father okay what if he doesn't grow up he remains a child all his life under stewardship even so we when we are children we are in bondage under the elements of the world okay what is the difference between a childish christian and a mature christian you are under bondage of the elements of this world you are swayed by the world and you emotionally react to everything and you cannot inherit God says you cannot inherit and it's a real thing in the world it is real if your child is emotionally or in many ways handicapped what the parents do is that even when they are dying they form a trust they put the property in the trust appoint an executor and see it belongs to the child but the child doesn't get anything the executor supervises the well-being of the child till he dies the estate is his but he will be never really truly be able to enjoy anything because he simply did not grow up okay so growing up is not an option it is imperative it is imperative so scripture says paul says one thing i do i am absolutely focused and i am committed to what i am focused so you look at these two athletes who ran and finished look at jesus look at paul in the new testament jesus was absolutely committed focused to his purpose in hebrews 10 verse 7 he will say behold i have come very clear behold i have come for what to do your will o god absolutely focused behold i have come to do your will o god it is not just being committed we are not a set of people who have no emotions sometimes we mistake that we should not be emotional that's not what scripture is talking about if you look at the men of god who were focused they were very focused but they were very passionate about what they were focused that is the key you need to be passionate like you are about sports you're passionate about sports or whatever you like you're passionate about it the men of god in the bible whether it was jesus or paul they were focused and they were incredibly passionate about what they were focused that is what is talking about one thing i do and i say 50 words 7 scripture says the lord god will help me therefore i will not be disgraced therefore i have set my face like a flint and i know that i will not be ashamed set your face like a flint meaning absolutely focused absolutely passionate nothing is going to dissuade me from this goal to which god has called me passionate paul was committed to god from the day jesus encountered he encountered jesus the question what will you have me do till we hear about him 
In the end, in Acts chapter 26, you will see in verse 16, Arise and stand on your feet, for I have prepared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. This was told to him then. He is telling this to Agrippa years and years and years and years later. He says, this is what he told me then. He got his purpose. He got his focus. And in verse 19, he will say, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was absolutely focused to the purpose of God in my life. He was committed to it and he was absolutely passionate about it. Okay. And the thing is that the 21st century Christian could become the greatest among those who have run for 2000 years because he is called in so many directions, his attention. But if you can be focused and you can be passionate, okay, then God says, I want to commit my burden and my passion on you. My burden and my passion on you. Now remember this. There is a mission. Paul is talking about his mission. There is a mission and there is a personal race. You have to balance between these two. That is what he meant. There is a mission. In First Corinthians chapter 9, I discipline my body, bring it to subjection, less when I have preached my mission. Yet I am disqualified because in my personal race, I still failed. Balancing. Okay, There is a mission and there is a personal race. One is never at the cost of the other. One is never, you cannot get, that's basically what is happening. You can get so passionate about your mission that you forget your personal race. You can be so obsessed of winning in your personal race, you don't fulfill your mission. Okay. Are you getting? You have to balance it both. You have to balance this because you will be judged for both. Did you fulfill your mission? Did you run your race? So Paul is saying that I could fulfill my mission, successfully end up as one of the greatest preachers ever, the one who brought in the largest number of people in the kingdom of God, and yet become disqualified, not salvation, from the price, because I didn't run my personal race. Understand this. One is never at the cost of the other. I am preaching, says Paul, and I'm also running my race. I'm preaching and I'm running my race. To Timothy, he will put it this way. In 1 Timothy 4.16, he will say, take, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Take heed to both. The doctrine is what you preach, your mission. Take heed to yourself, that's your personal race. Continue in them both. Continue in them both. Balance. Be passionate Focused on both. Be focused, be balanced. Truth is, most Christians are not focused because they forget whose they are, not who they are, whose they are, and they are running a race. They forget whose they are, and they are running a race. You see, when I was in the secular realm, when I worked, whenever I worked in the secular interestingly, every time I worked in the secular realm, it was after I became a Christian. 
I was the Christian who was the teacher or a lecturer, not the other way. Not the other way. That one thing helped me make all my decisions. You are first a Christian, then you are a student. You are first a Christian, then an employee. You are first, if you are retired, you are first a retiree, Christian, then a retiree. Whatever you are, you are first a Christian. Never forget that. Otherwise, you will get it inverted. If you are first an employee and then a Christian, then you will always compromise and lose focus on what you should be focused on. We are first, our identity first is that as belonging to Christ. And then only what we do. What we do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, take heed to yourself. No. 10 and verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Glory of God. And we look from the patterns we know very well now. Even as a slave, neither Joseph or Daniel ever forgot who they were first and whose they were first. Once they knew whose they were, they were both slaves. Remember, in the secular realm, look in the terms of the secular realm. Joseph in Egypt, Daniel in Babylon are both in the secular realm working. But they knew who they were and whose they were first. Therefore, the decisions were easy to make. The choices were easy to make. Even in difficult circumstances. In difficult circumstances, we struggle to make decisions because we are confused about what is our identity first. In school, am I a student first or am I a Christian first? In my office, am I a Christian first or am I an employee first? At home, am I a Christian first or am I a husband first? At home, am I a Christian first or a wife first? Why did I say that? Because you see, every religion, everywhere in every religion, it's Islam, Hinduism, Christianity, Judaism, everywhere. The wife is asked to submit to the husband. But only to the Christian is told, love your wife as Christ loves. So what are you first? The husband who sees his identity first as the husband will say, you are not submitting to me. Because he sees his identity first as what? I am the husband. I am the head. Which is true in any religion. You don't have to be a Christian for that. In every religion. He is the head. When you are a wife, where does your identity first come from? As a Christian? Or as a wife? Ask. That is how focus brings clarity in life. One thing, 
I know who I am, who I am. Then it becomes easy to make decisions. What am I? Who am I? What am I in this for? What am I in this for? One thing. We need to know who we are. Whose we are. Who we are is depending upon we believe whose we are. Where our identity comes from. So he says one thing. He's focused. He's committed. He's focused and he's committed to that. And the question God is asking us, because you will see, whenever there are conflicts, because we are looking from Sunday onwards to next Sunday on conflict and resolution and all, everything is connected with what is your one thing you are focused on. One thing you are focused on. When there is conflict in Abraham's household, between Abraham and Lord's household, his first focus is, who am I? It's not that I am uncle, you are nephew, you followed me, you became rich on my ex. Nothing. The whole thing is, whose am I in this land? Whose witness am I? So his first step is, let's make peace without marring the name of God here. The name of God, the testimony of God. That's what Joseph is doing in Egypt and Daniel is doing in Babylon. The name of Christ, the name of God. The name of God, because that's my focus. That's from where my identity comes from. Going back to Philippians chapter 3, okay? I do not first, don't be complacent. We have not apprehended Christ fully. We are on the way. Never get complacent about it. Don't get laid back upon this. This is still the day you die. Second, but one thing I do, that one thing you need to know what you need to do. Your focus, your purpose, your focus. And connected with that focus, every decision in life becomes secondary. One focus is the price is Christ himself. That's my focus. And every decision then becomes easy. If you don't have that one focus, it's, it's, it's very difficult in life. You can always waver about decisions you have to make. We'll always waver. Like the ECG. One day up, one day down. One day up, one day down. Unable because you know the focus, the core isn't there. The core is, he says, one thing I do. The third thing he mentions here is forgetting those things which are behind. Third thing he mentions. Forgetting those things which are behind. Most Christians, these are, like I said, this is only for the brethren. This is not, not the brethren church, but for the brethren, the family of God, because others are not in their race. Most Christians are prisoners of their past defeats or past Victories. Both are a trap. Both are a trap. Defeat and victory in the past. If you're looking at like that, it's a trap. Learn from the men of God in the Bible. Jacob was actually trapped in his past defeat for almost 42 years. How many years? First 20 years in his father-in-law's house because of defeat. 20 years. God had to come, literally, kick him, move him, deal with him, deal with his past, change his name, change his identity, he moves. Then a little later, he believes his beloved son is dead. How many years? Another 21 years or 22 years. He's dead. Living man, dead. Because he's living in the past. Joseph is 
dead. 42 years. But remember, he finished well. That's a good thing. He finished well. Two times, God literally had to intervene and wake him up and move him into his future. And we are given two wonderful pictures of this man finishing well. Two pictures, real pictures, images. If you want to paint, you can paint those pictures. One picture you see is in Genesis 33 verses 3 and 4. A man who has overcome his defeat of his past. He crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. It's one picture. Twenty years he had lost fearing this man. Hiding, backing away from this man. But when God deals with his past, he's moving to meet that man because he has dealt with his past defeat. And there is reconciliation. Dealt with his past. That past will never haunt him anymore. God has dealt with him because God brought it out to the open. Dealt, it is over. Then you see the picture of how he finishes in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, what is he doing? He blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. It's an incredible picture of a man who dealt with his past defeats and is finishing very well because he understood purpose. He decided to put all those things in the past. Another picture we have in the Bible is a man in David. In Second Samuel chapter 12, you know it very well now. Twenty, not ten, verse twenty. Arose from the ground, washed, anointed, changed, went into the house of God and worshipped, went to his house and ate. How he dealt with his past. How he dealt with his past. If you look at his past before that, lies, deception, treachery, adultery, murder. Dealt with it and moved on with God. Otherwise you'll never move on. So many Christians are prisoners of their past defeats. This is a man who moved on with God. Trusting in the faithfulness and the promises of God. That's why God records this man's history in the new covenant. He says in Acts chapter 13 and verse 36 for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God. God says, this man fulfilled my purpose. But if you look at his life and his defeats, you would say, it is not possible. But God says, yes, he did. If any man should have been hounded by his past, should have had nightmares and been depressed and discouraged about his past, it should have been David. But he understood God. So God says, 
deal with your past. There's only one way your past can be dealt with. There are no two ways in the Bible. There is only one way your past can be dealt with. In 1 John 1 9, God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you look at it, I will tell you the problem believers face. The problem believers face is that if you look, we are technically asked by God to do one thing. Yes. Bring it out of the power of darkness into the power of light. Confess. What does God do? He's faithful. He's just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The thing is that after we, we do this, we are still looking for something else. Or we think we need to do more before we feel forgiven. But this is all on God's sides. It is all based on what God will do. God is just. So how can he forgive me? God says, I am just. That's why I can forgive you because I put it on my son. I am not being unjust by forgiving you. I understand your crime. Understand your crime. But there is a punishment for that. The punishment was taken by my son. Okay. This is the key. There is no other way. So Psalm 51, we don't have to turn there. David stands up. He's done all these things. He stands up and says, this is what I have done. And God says, you're clean. You're fine. You're fine. You can still run your race. What you did, the consequences will run parallelly. But you can run and finish your race and get your crown. You have no handle over those things because it's gone out of your hands. But you can run and finish your race. So once you have done it, Learn the lessons from it. Forget the past and move on. Move on. This is the same about past victories. Past victories. Don't gloat about it. Don't dwell there each day. Because there is a new battle. Goliath is down and out. But the giants will keep on coming. Scripture records. Goliath is gone. But David has to fight other giants. There are still giants in the land. If you're gonna gloat and put Goliath's head as a piece on your show, on your, on your wall, no, no. God says other Goliaths will come. People live either in the past defeats or in the past victories. How do you know? If I were to ask anybody about it, give me a testimony. It will be always in the past. It will long past. Meaning, you have to pick up something from the past to victory and you're living on that. God says, don't gloat about your past victories. Good, learn from it. Leave it behind and move on because the giants will keep on coming. So leave behind. Forget those things that are behind. That's what Paul says. Okay? Now go back to Philippians. That text, core text. So first thing, don't be complacent. Second, be focused and committed to that, what you are focused. 
And third, let the past be past, your defeat or your victory. It is in the past. It is under the blood. It is gone. Third, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Reaching forward. That is actually a very, very athletic term. You know, straining forward to those things that are ahead. And you look at those guys who are running, you can see them straining and you can see every muscle in action. That's what he's saying. Straining forward to those things that are ahead. God says, we must exert in the present for the things that are in the future. Reach forward. Strong exertion made by the runners in the race. And if you really see, you will see every muscle, every nerve is exerted. Now, to do this, to be strong, to be able to do this, we are talking about a physical athlete, okay? The athlete needs strength. Otherwise, he cannot do that. And to have strength, he needs exercise. The same way, spiritual strength comes from spiritual exercise and training. Spiritual exercise and training. The early church we saw on Sunday in Acts 2 and verse 42 was very strong. Why were they very strong? Because they were very focused. Very focused. If you look at Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they were very strong and very focused. That's why they were strong. The reason, no, I didn't give it to you actually, 242. They were very strong because they were very, very focused. This is the key. Steadfast. Other translations, another translation uses the word devoted. They were devoted to doctrine. Devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, devoted to prayer. That's why they were strong. That's spiritual exercise. Real spiritual exercise. This is not just physical, this is spiritual. Devoted. Mark that word in your life. How steadfast am I to doctrine? I'm not talking about taking notes, which is very good. Very good. It's just a small part of it. How devoted are we to fellowship? How devoted are we to judgment? How devoted are we to prayer? Another word in English is consistent or faithful. How, why doctrine is put over there? Because you are in a race. And if you are in the race, we need to know the rules of the race. Doctrine is life. Doctrine will tell you how to run this race. How to run this race. The actual running of that race is tested here. A huge part of that running of that race, that personal race, is tested in fellowship. Tested in fellowship. In living, actual living as a community of believers. Breaking of bread or judgment is because you are not competing with anybody. But often it will look as if you are competing. You are not competing. 
that constantly has to be there that is why there is constant judgment i am not competing because if you look in the actual race when you are competing you are always trying to block the other fellow's path because they start from five tracks but ultimately they all end up in one track right but we are not in one track but we are physical beings so god says this is kept over there to see that you are not blocking somebody's path not only that you are helping somebody in his race you are not competing you are complimenting that's why it is kept over there that's why it's kept over there breaking of bread okay so god says that's where these things come in that's the reason we are gathering we are not gathering here for knowledge we are knowing knowing very very clearly look at jesus look at his life just constant doctrine was constant fellowship was constant breaking of bread is there prayer is there it's all constant prayer if you look at the church beginning in acts chapter 1 and verse 14 they all continued with one accord in prayer it took jesus a lot to bring them to that level a lot to bring them to that level. bring to that unity of purpose in prayer unity of purpose in that prayer in acts chapter 2 1 when the day of pentecost had fully come they were all with one accord in one place one accord not in 10 places that's what happens in the 21st century one accord yes streaming live streaming dead streaming all but not them one accord one place because what i find funny is that i keep this here because to see the time while i'm doing the looking at the time people who are part of this church is whatsapping forgetting the church is gathered over here at least that should be there the church is gathered at least let me not put this up it looks odd at least let me be quiet till 8:30 maintain that decor of knowing that i am part of this body and that body is gathered here at digampet one accord in many places no one place one place one place so it doesn't matter you are young people grow up you go to another place you're posted or move out to another place the format doesn't change the same format for you first thing you look is find a place of god where god wants you to be and be keep this four so that you are focused you know your purpose see life of faith is we know it very well is a marathon it's a long long marathon it has a starting line it has a finishing line and it takes stamina unlike a 100 meter dash you know marathon takes stamina you see usain bolt or the carl lewis or none of them can do a marathon they are called the fastest men in the world not the strongest they cannot do a marathon we want to be fast what god says no you don't need to be fast you need to endure you need to finish this 
This is a marathon race. It takes stamina more than speed. More than speed. The biblical word for that is endurance. We need focus and we need endurance. These are the two things, primary things, devil is after. Devil is after. What is he after? One, to see that we are not focused. Why do you all keep fighting among yourself? Think it's natural? No. Why? So that you lose focus. Why do believers fight more than unbelievers? Honestly, think. Why do believers fight more than unbelievers? The simple reason is that the devil knows unbeliever is running no race. The unbeliever is running? No race. The believer is running? A race. How to stop him running? Take him off focus. Take him off focus. Take him off focus. Understand that this is what the devil is doing. He knows two things. One, get them off focus. And Paul says, no, be focused. One thing, everything has to be revolving around it. There is a purpose. I'm running for Christ. And these irritating things are happening in my family, in my office. If I take my eye off, how does it affect that? That's a question you ask. How does that affect that? If that affects, let it go. Let it go. Yet, if I have to handle this, otherwise it will affect it, then I will handle it in such a way that it it helps me in this and not stops me in this. That's how you work it out. That's how you work it out. Otherwise it doesn't work. We are not talking about compromise. We are talking about focus. The devil will try to take us off focus. And if we are focused... What he will try to do, he will try to wear us out. Wear us out. Okay. Joseph is focused. The devil is trying to wear him out. Day after day after day after. Who comes? Potiphar's wife comes. Hoping he will wear out and give in. So in Hebrews 10 verse 36 will say, for you have need of endurance. For after you have done the will of God, you may receive the, not before, after. So you need endurance because this fellow is not going to give up. He is going to come at you through people, through situation, through circumstances, all kind of things he's going to wear you out if he knows you are focused. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, scripture says, We also, since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, sin with so endless, and let us run with endurance. Focus and endurance. If he can't get us off focus, he will try to wear us out. I like the word endurance. For me, it's personal meaning. It's like a combination of strength plus patience. You need strength and patience. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, scripture says, Blessed is the man who endures. Testing, trials, temptation, whichever meaning you want to give it over here. For when he has been uproot, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Endure, endure, endure. This is a spiritual quality. It does not come overnight. It comes from faithfully trusting 
and obey the precepts of God. And the Holy Spirit fills us with more and more strength each day. It's a small grind each day in the same direction. Spiritual walk is not exciting like in the world. Honestly, it is not exciting to the flesh at all. It's quite boring. But the rewards are later. Rewards are later. So scripture will say in Galatians 6 and verse 9, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. While doing good. These things are good. Gathering for doctrine steadfastly is good. Can get weary. Fellowship can grow weary. Because in the world you can have all kinds of fellowship. But in the kingdom fellowship is restricted by boundaries of God. So fellowship can be quite boring. Quite boring. That's why even when we get together for fellowship, our conversations are always about shopping and clothes and cricket and movies and songs. Why? Because the actual fellowship is boring. Can you imagine Jesus and uh, his 11 to 12 disciples sitting together and discussing football? Hey Judas, do you know the score today? Don't grow weary, scripture says. For in due season we shall reap if you do not lose heart. Next portion, next verse again scripture says in Second Thessalonians. For as for you brethren, do not grow weary. You need endurance. Because in the kingdom of God, the results are not seen immediately. Sometimes not even in a lifetime. Not even in a lifetime. We are so result oriented. So when we see no result, we want to give up. The kingdom of God is not based on result. The kingdom of God is based on purpose. Can you imagine Jesus giving up? I don't see any disciple at the end. Why should I die for them? It's not based on results. The scripture is clear and we are very clear. That's what Paul is talking about. Take this seriously. Okay. First he says, don't be complacent. Second thing he says, one thing, be focused and be committed to that. First find your focus and be committed to that. And third thing, forget the past. Put it, your victories or your defeats, don't dwell on it. Leave it and strain forward. Strain, you have to strain daily. Strain daily, spiritual, like anybody in the physical world, in the athletic field, they know. You want to reach the top. There is no way, whether you are in studies or any field in the world, you really want to excel, you have to strain. You have to strain. You will say, Virat Kohli, look at him. You know why, why Virat Kohli excels? It's reached so many benchmarks, it's only because there are no good bowlers. And people come and talk to me about Virat Kohli. I said, would he have lasted with those old days bowlers? No way. Today you tell me, those who know, follow cricket, tell me one good bowler's name. Do you know any bowler's name? No. There are no good bowlers anymore. When you excel against such a weak bowling attack all over the world, that is not. That is not. When Paul and John and all are excelling, the, the forces of darkness are ranged against them and they are excelling. 
They are excelling. When Jesus excelled, it was not a force or a principality who came against him. The devil himself kept on coming at him and he excelled. Your victories, your achievements are always should be measured against your opposition. Old days when you scored a double century, everybody wanted to go for a Bangladesh tour. Old days. Why? Your ratings will look good. Pakka century, double century or triple century. No, that's how believers are like. The little demon on the road said, I'm fighting him. God says, I gave you power over principalities, powers of darkness, rulers of darkness. No. One little fellow is over, finished. Focus is gone, weary, I am tired, I am trying to endure. God says, no. No, I have to move on, move on, move on. By the time Daniel is fighting, he's fighting the very principality over Persia which is 120 provinces stretching from India all the way down to Israel. The fellow who is the top over there, he's fighting him. Where did this young fellow begin? Where is this young old man finishing? What is he fighting? And still standing there. And angelic hosts and Prince Michael and all are being sent to answer this old man who is fasting and prayer. Whole angelic host is intervening because one man is praying. Did you see how he changed the entire history of the world? Because he did not grow weary. He endured. He was very clear about his purpose. That's exactly what these pictures are given in the Old Testament so that we learn and we don't grow weary because the rewards are all on that side, not on this side. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when Paul talks, words 24 and 27, I gave 24 first. Didn't I give 24 first? Yeah. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run in such a way to obtain it. What does it mean? Joining in a race does not guarantee any prize. Not everyone is going to be rewarded by Jesus. Being in the race does not mean you and I will win a race. Win a race. In the verse 27, he will say, no, I myself should not be disqualified. Should not be disqualified. That's why Paul tells Timothy, he's telling Timothy, Timothy, to win a race, you need to realize one thing. You need to compete according to the rules. One. Two, you need to finish the race. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, also if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now if you look in any newspaper, in any Christian world, anybody dies, he's finished the race, he's fought the good fight and he's getting his crown. That fellow never ran according to the rules. He broke every rule in the book. Scripture says no. Salvation, yes. Crown, God says no. For to get a crown, you need to compete according to the rules. The problem is if you do not know doctrine, how do you know the rules? How do you know the rules? That's what so many believers are playing games with their eternal destiny. 
eternal destiny like children do now they go to school and they are fooling around bunking classes not studying not listening and without realizing it will have a terrible effect when they finally grow older and they are looking for a job their mark sheets and their mark shows nothing they go for interview after interview they have no answers you are being tested by what you did during those years but you have nothing because you fooled your time wasted your time away that's what god is talking about playing games with our eternal destiny so scripture says run according to the rules compete according to the rules one of the functions of teaching is to teach the rules of engagement In 1 Corinthians 9:27 when Paul talks about he's not talking about being disqualified from salvation no salvation is never earned he's being disqualified from the prize even he the apostle disqualified from the prize you have to run according to the rules not only that in 2 Timothy chapter 4:7 he says i have finished the race you have to finish the race too you have to finish the race god has a beginning and an appointed end he shouldn't knock you off you in the middle because you are being a hindrance in the kingdom take you out you didn't finish your race he said come on come on no that's what god is saying talking about he said finish not participate finish And if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 7 and verse 8 it is very interesting it's very personal 2 Timothy I have fought the good fight not we have though you are in a church the church is not in it together you are doing it on your own I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith and finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only but also anybody else who runs according to the rules it's a very personal thing though we are one body we don't run the race together we help each other but each one is focused in running his own race because it's a very personal thing hence there is this there is laid up for me there is a confidence if we are running it in together i will never be confident you know passing the baton that race and relay you know the relay race the one who is running the 100 meter dash or the one who is running the relay race who is more confident and the meter because he knows he only has to rely on himself but the other fellow to get a crown he has to rely on all of them finishing well so we are not running this together we are running this separately that personal race is separate though we are all together in the race each one is running his own we are not running selfishly because if you run selfishly you are disqualified that's the funniest part about this race you cannot run this selfishly you are out you like salvation you cannot ride on somebody's back for salvation it is personal so is the price you cannot ride on somebody's back for the price 
even though we will never compete with somebody else in this race, but this race will demand everything we have. Everything we have. It will demand everything. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, God says what this race will demand. You shall love the Lord your God with, mark this word, all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength. It will demand everything. If you ever, ever want to finish this race as an overcomer, it will demand everything. Nothing held back. The strength will be his. The strength will be his. But the choice and the race is ours. In Philippians 4.13, when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strength is his. But it is Paul who is running. It's we who are running. The strength is his. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, if anyone, himself, the choice is ours. Choice is not his. The strength is his. We have to make that choice. From the latter, he'll be a vessel of honor. Sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. The choice is ours. The strength is his. We have to keep on, God says in this race, on loving, keep on fighting the good fight of faith. That's why in Philippians 3 and verse 14, Paul will say, I press on. I keep on pressing on. Pressing on. You know? And if you, you both, you, we know by now, because we saw from 2 Timothy, when Paul finished his race, Everybody had abandoned him. So can you run this together? When Jesus ran his race, everybody abandoned him. Can you run this together? No, you cannot. You're not pushing anybody on the way. You're not blocking anybody on the way. But you have to run this. And often you may run this only alone. So he says, press on, press on, press on, press on. Focus. Focus. Don't lose your focus. We have many things to do, but don't lose your primary focus. That's what happens with young people and older people. Young people lose focus. Too many things catch their attention. Daniel and Joseph was careful. David ran well for a season. He became a middle-aged man. He lost focus. People also begin well. They get married, have two children. They lose focus. They lose focus. God says you cannot lose focus. Even the people, successful people in the world, those who are successful in different areas, they know if you lose focus, you cannot be successful. Let me tell you about some people. One man is dead and gone. What he said. <clears throat> A successful warrior or soldier is an average man with a laser-like focus. It's an average man, a successful warrior. It's an average man with a laser-like focus. You know who said it? Translated from Chinese, Bruce Lee said it. Everybody knows Bruce Lee, right? A successful soldier is an average man with a laser-like focus. Another interesting, he said this too. Bruce Lee said this too. I fear not the man who practiced 10,000 kicks once. 
I fear the man who practice one kick ten thousand times. Okay. He says, that's the man I fear because he's focused. Keep your mind, simple thing, keep your mind on the things you want and off the things you should not want. That is Hannah Whitehall Smith, the one who wrote Heinz on uh, that devotional. No? She said this. So scripture says, tells us, children, all of us, focus. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. If you have gone off focus, off focus, come back. Come back. When I grew up, one of my favorite novels when I was in primary school growing up was Ivanhoe and Robin Hood. You know, Robin Hood and Ivanhoe. And it's interesting in that competition, there are the final two competitors. There is this false king's guy and there is Robin Hood and there is this target. You know? See, I grew up in a country where the national sport was archery. So it's interesting. Archery is interesting because depending upon how close you can get to the target, there is a target, there are circles, and then there is the bullseye. That's what it's called, the bullseye. Okay? So in this story, you will see the king's guy hits the bullseye. What can you do more than that? You know? You know what Robin Hood comes and does? He takes and him, he shoots and he splits the arrow. He splits the arrow. God says, so that's exactly what you are. You all can hit the bullseye and keep on splitting the arrows of those who went ahead of you. Christ is there for anyone. You can. It's not for one person. It's for everybody who finishes the race and competes according to the rules. Don't lose focus. Don't lose focus. Don't lose focus. Man, shall we pray? Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, that you not only saved us, you saved us for a purpose. And that purpose is bigger than anything else in this life. That purpose, I pray, will define everyone sitting here, everyone who will hear the message. And every conflict we face, every trial we face, every temptation we face, every failure we go through, every victory we go through, we will see it through the eyes of that purpose of God. And we will be steadfast. We will be focused on that one thing. We will learn to deal issues in life looking at whose we are, what we are called to. The upward call of Christ. The price is Christ himself, O Lord. I pray, Father, every child here, every young person, every married person, everyone here will see themselves in this race. In this race. And no price is too less to pay for that price. Because the price is Christ himself. The end of the story we see, Lord, 144,000 on the top of the mountain with the Lamb of God. I believe they won the price. For they followed him wherever he went. I pray it is just a symbolic number, Lord. But much, much more will be there on that day, on that mount. Having won that price. 
light of what we have seen from scripture, help us to put everything under the blood and press on, press on. The upward call of Christ. Pressing on, Lord. Look at life. Everything that happens in life according to that call, Father. Thank you, thank you, Father. You brought us safely. We know you will take us safely. Another month begins soon. Go before us, Lord. Another year will be here very soon. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Thank you, thank you, Father. We just bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.